question how many of you think you know me nobody that's fantastic I've only worked here for eight years but really know me like know who I really am we use the term fairly loosely I mean you could think of Michael Backland I know him when in fact the best I've really done is see him play and watch him several times though he is really good friends with my next door neighbor so I guess that sort of counts for I know him close enough anyway but if you really want to know people there needs to be some kind of relationship with them And here's the challenge for many of us. We're not always that good at self-disclosure. We're a little cautious, timid perhaps, worried about what people would think about us if they really knew who we were. And so we hold back. And you could take me as an easy example of this. Lots of you have spoken with me. You've met my wife, Gillian. Apparently a bunch of you think she's married to to Dan Bremnes. You're all asking that out there. She's mine! (laughs) He's got his own family. You've seen her met or kids, you've seen photos of her little granddaughter Avery, you know that I'm kind of excited because there's a new grandchild due in three or four weeks time. You can tell from the accent I'm not from around here, even if you can't quite place it. You probably, some of you watched my story last weekend, it was on a screen and know that I have some health challenges. Some of you have probably had some fairly detailed conversations with me. We've worked together on ministry projects and enjoyed doing that and getting to know each other a little bit. We've prayed together. Some of you are really good friends of mine and know lots more about my life. You know that my office is filled with chocolate because I eat far more chocolate than I really need. You also know that I've mostly got my coffee drinking under control. And some of you are my co-workers and you know a whole lot more about me that I can really be quite moody and pensive and cockward to work with at times. And some of you are really close enough to know all the details of my life. Let me tell you a little bit about my inner chaos. I am unduly concerned about chairs being in straight lines. Having no children at home is a blessing of the Lord because the chairs stay where I put them. I am convinced that for 20-something years they deliberately moved them just a few millimeters just to see how much they could annoy me. And it worked. Plastic shopping bags give me the creeps. I throw them out as soon as I see them. And those same kids one time filled our bed with plastic shopping bags just to see what would happen as they all pretended to sleep. I hate shopping. I hate shopping for clothes. I generally just don't like shopping at all. Although one of our elders cornered me last night after the service explaining to me that I had misled the congregation. And so on the basis of his correction, I will say I do not like shopping for clothes. I don't like shopping except shopping for cars. And tomorrow is going to be a good day because my son-in-law wants me to go and look at a car for him. So that's kind of exciting. I read books the way most of you would watch TV or listen to podcasts. My goal is to always read 100 books a year. I take medication that challenges the executive function in my brain, my emotional regulation and self-control. If you ever wonder why I'm acting really weird, it's because I take lack of self-control pills. It's complicated. (laughs) I like to refer to it as ego strength, but the word most other people would use is arrogance. (laughs) 
if you really want to get to know me, you're going to have to spend some time with me. Build trust, build a relationship, allow people to reveal themselves. So here's some questions I want us to ponder today. How do we get to know God? How do we get to know Jesus? In our journey through the prayers of Jesus that we've called When You Pray, we've arrived at John chapter 17. It's where I'm going to read from this morning. It is by far the longest prayer that's recorded in the Bible from the lips of Jesus. It's way longer than any of the prayers we've been looking at so far. And so we're going to camp out here for a couple of weeks and take some time to slow down and spend time with Jesus and listen to his prayer. Here's the story that gets us to this big, long prayer. John chapter 12, Jesus has been having supper with his friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And after dinner, Mary anoints Jesus' feet with this expensive perfume and then dries him with their hair. It's time to go and they all leave to head toward the city of Jerusalem. And on their way in, people have got their palm branches and they're shouting and cheering, Hosanna! I tried, Lord, I tried. <laughs> John chapter 13, Jesus is having supper again, this time with the 12 disciples, his 12 best friends. Jesus washes their feet and dries their feet with a towel. And then we read from chapters 13 through to 17, Jesus is teaching them, he's praying for them, and he's in the city of Jerusalem and everybody's crying out, crucify him! Quite the contrast. What would you do if you only need 24 hours to live? Have a good meal? Spend time with your friends, your family? Jesus did both. They had roast lamb with all the trimmings. They had good wine. His 12 closest friends were there. They had a lovely evening together. But as we read the story of what happened that evening, they have a ton of questions for Jesus. It's quite fascinating to read through. Things like this. Are you going to wash my feet too? Really? Who's going to betray you? Where are you going? How can we know the way? Could you show us the Father? Why are you revealing this to us but not to anybody else. What do you mean when you keep saying a little while, a little while? They want information from Jesus. He wants them. He wants to know them. He wants them to really know him for who he is. And it's in this same upstairs room where they've had dinner, where Jesus has washed their feet, where Jesus has been teaching and they've been asking all these questions where they're beginning slowly to think about betrayal and denial, that Jesus prays with them. He prays for himself. He prays for them. And right at the very end, he prays for us too. It's remarkable. John chapter 17, verse 1. After Jesus had spoken these words, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that the son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all people to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I've glorified you on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. So now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had in your presence before the world existed. I've made your name known to those whom you gave me from the world. They were yours, 
and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Jesus starts out praying for himself with a simple word, Father, that implies relationship. There's a closeness here. And several times in John chapter 17, Jesus will repeatedly refer to God as Father. A couple of times he adds some modifiers to it, words like holy, holy Father, or righteous Father. Those words holy, righteous, they they draw attention in a sense to the God who's above us and beyond us and sometimes feels far away. He seems majestic and sovereign and awesome. And theologians will refer to that as the, the transcendence of God. He's way different than us. But that word father, it pays attention and draws our attention to how close God is, that he's with us, he's involved in our life, his grace overflows towards us, he loves us, we are his kids, he takes pleasure in us. And theologians would call that the imminence, the closeness of God. And both together help us understand God a little bit more. But do we know him? Let's press on. Jesus had spoken the words. He looked up to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that the son may glorify you. A couple of words and phrases there we were looking at last weekend. This little phrase, the hour, and that word glory. If you weren't able to be here or participate online, I'd encourage you to take some time and play back last weekend's service because it's significant what those words mean. Essentially, the hour means time's up. Jesus knew that the end was near. In fact, when he was being arrested, this is what's recorded as his words. When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. The hour means time's up. Glory refers to reputation or honor, even weightiness in the sense of like a giant rock being dropped in a pond and there's a big splash and there's ripples going everywhere. Because when God shows up, things get rearranged. And as the followers of Jesus, we live in a very real way in the splash zone. Rosalind already mentioned all these baptisms last weekend. More still to come because God is busy rearranging lives when he splashes down. And right here in John 17, Jesus is praying that what happens next will create a big splash. He's praying for reciprocal glory. That as God's glory is revealed in Jesus, that glory in turn would come back to God the Father. And what is next? Jesus' death and resurrection. We know the story and we can read it. We're in 17 reading the prayer, chapter 18, Jesus is arrested and put on trial. Chapter 19, Jesus is executed. He's crucified. But Jesus' prayer is already pointing towards this right here when we read it. Jesus says, I glorified you on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And what work is finished? Well, certainly his healings and miracles and his teachings over. You don't really hear of Jesus doing much more of that after this prayer because time was up. This part of his mission was complete. There's only one thing left for him to do, just one thing. And that is that he will be arrested, tried, tortured, crucified, executed. The hour had come, the moment that would change everything. You see, Jesus is about to be cursed. The cross is not simply an object of execution or torment. It is also a curse. 
The Apostle Paul knew his Old Testament very well when he wrote to his friends and said to them, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs in a tree. Jesus not only suffers and dies, Jesus becomes a curse for you and for me. In his death, he breaks the power of sin and death. He takes the curse upon himself to destroy it and set us free. And so in order to answer Jesus' request about glory, God the Father is going to have to take someone who has been rejected and cursed and somehow, in some way, turn this curse into praise and this rejection into applause. God the Father is going to have to take the disgraceful associations of a cross and turn it into a badge of honor for his son. How would you do that? Jesus tells us in his prayer, verse 5. So now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had in your presence before the world existed. The Father will glorify the Son by restoring him to the position he had with the Father before the foundation of the world. Jesus will be vindicated in his resurrection. His victory will be displayed for all to see in his ascension on high, to sit at the right hand of God in the throne of the universe, and one day will be celebrated at the consummation of all things when God makes everything new. In fact, in the scenes of heaven, in the book of Revelation, when all these things take place, we read of a day when everybody cries out with one voice saying, worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. He's worthy. This great reversal from curse and sin and death, it begins in the resurrection of Jesus. It carries right through his ascension to be with his father and it is made fully complete when all things are made new. And since we're talking about heaven, I want us to look for a moment at one particular phrase. It's a phrase we easily get confused about, I think. The little words that we read in Jesus' prayer, eternal life. What comes to mind for you when you think about eternal life? For some of us, I think, it's maybe like a big long journey with kids constantly asking, are we there yet? No! <laughs> it's almost as though we refer to the length or quantity of something, except there's no limit to it. It keeps on going. It's eternal. But did you see how Jesus defined it? In verse 3, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is something very different from quantity, even unlimited quantity. It's got much more to do with quality. Eternal life is a relationship with the everlasting God, forever delighting in the glory of God, serving God and seeing him and rejoicing forever in his presence, living life the way God intended and enables us to live. The history of most religions is the quest to find God a quest of discovery. And right here in Jesus' prayer, we're discovering that the quest is over. We don't need to go looking for God because Jesus shows us who God is. Jesus is the God who has come looking for us. He's come looking for you. In this big conversation that Jesus and his friends had after supper just before the prayer, there's an interesting exchange takes, between, takes place between Jesus and his friend Philip. Chapter 14, verse 8. Philip says to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father. 
and we'll be satisfied. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you all this time, Philip? And you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak in my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Jesus reveals the Father to us. We can know God loves us because Jesus shows us. We can know God is for us because his own, he gave his only son for us. So who is this God? This only true God that Jesus says he reveals? That would be nice to have certainty. I mean, I know we're not idol worshippers. We're not doing that sort of thing, chasing after false gods. I get that. I know we can see the idea of faith as being beyond a higher power or a cosmic force. And yet the Bible continually reminds us God is a person. And just as we need to reveal ourselves to others if we're going to have a relationship, if we're going to get to know who God is, he needs to reveal himself to us. And he's done that in Jesus. Jesus is not some courier from God bringing a letter or a message so we can get our facts straight. Jesus is God in the flesh. And so when we talk about in church, God being Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we're not meaning there's three gods, but one God who exists in three persons, a triune God. And I know that's complicated. Though there's a big word I think helps us get a handle on this celestial mathematics problem. It's a Greek word called perichoresis. Try saying it with me. It's not that hard. Perichoresis. One more. Try. Perichoresis. Look at this. Free Greek lessons on a Sunday morning. It's actually not that hard to figure out what it means. Peri is a word for kind of moving around, spinning about, like a periscope on a submarine. You stick it up, you move it around, and you can see what's going on. That's a simple word. And the caresses part, we use it in the word choreography, like dancing. You know, so you think you can dance, there you go. Now you know what it all means. I'm terrible at dancing. I have no idea about dancing. I'd never want, really want to do it ever again if I could help it. Although, I have to say, my wife convinced me and got me to learn with her how to do Michael Jackson's Thriller for one of our kids' weddings. So if you ever really need a party piece, I'm just saying, for a small fee, I will show up. <laughs> but in some ways, when we use this big old word, perichoresis, we're talking about a divine dance. You may never have thought that God spends his time dancing, but he does. Dancing around. When you love somebody, it's as though your life begins to orbit around them. And in this love that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have for each other, their lives are a dance. It's at least part of what we mean by saying there's a triune God. A dance of love and joy and delight, a unity and intimacy to who they are. In other words, you could think of God as always being social, always being in love, being in relationship. You can't talk about part of God but all of God. And I know some of you are probably wondering, oh my goodness, he's off on a theological tangent. What did he eat for his breakfast? Let me tell you why it matters. Every time you encounter Jesus, every story of Jesus, every time you feel God intervening in your life, all of God has been present. Father, Son, and Spirit. There is no God hiding in the bushes behind Jesus. There's no one waiting just to jump out and get you and go, ha, got you, filled you, knew you'd take it. When we meet Jesus, we meet all of God. He's not hiding from us. He's not waiting to get you. 
Jesus' prayer, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. What do we know of this only true God, this three-in-one God, that he longs to be in a relationship with us? That when the Bible tells us that God is love, it's not just making a nice comment about how he feels now and again, but how he relates to us. He loves us and wants us. Before time and space and matter were called into being out of his love, he is already longing to join, for us to join him in his dance. How much does God love you? This much. Jesus much. On a cross. For you, with all of its loneliness and brokenness and hurt and pain, the power of death and sin and shame, that he could destroy them and bring us home to God again. He gives his life that we would have a full, unbroken relationship with God. And sin, the things that separate us from God, the gulf that easily exists between us and God, Jesus came to destroy, to remove, to take away to bring God close up and personal wasn't easy. It wasn't easy because we don't make it easy. Our stubbornness, our poor choices, our attitudes, our selfishness, our sin, we don't make it easy. But he gave his life that we would know life eternal. And what is life eternal? It's to know God. But what on earth does he want with me? Well, He wants us to love him in return. He wants us to have a relationship with him. He wants to be our father so that we can be his children. Or if you like, he wants us to be all in. Jesus is praying not just that we'll know something about God, but that we will be in relationship with him, all in, that we'll know him, that being grasped by his love as we learn to love in response, God's big splash will transform our lives and change us. I mean, are you happy with your life? Are you content with your relationship with Jesus right now? Why not? God's got lots more for you. Maybe that's where you find yourself today wondering. Maybe unable to answer the questions. It's okay. God knows. He's here. He's waiting. He's patient. And in his grace, he's waiting for you to turn towards him. To live a life of God dependence in relationship with him. To know his presence always in your life. There's an apocryphal story told. It's not true. It's not in the Bible. It never happened. But it's interesting all the same. Jesus and the guys are walking along the road one day. And Jesus asks everybody to carry a stone for him. John mm, gets a big old stone. The biggest thing he can pick up. Peter, uh, couldn't care less, gets a little pebble and off they go. They walk for a very long time. They sit down somewhere nice and grassy and Jesus is like, turns the stones into bread. Peter's got like three crumbs because he was really lazy. John's got like this gigantic French pastry thing going on. Sometime later, Jesus asks them to do the same thing. They're all out walking, grab a stone. Things are a little different this time. Peter gets the biggest, heaviest thing he can get his hands on, picks it up, and they get walking till they come to a lake. And Jesus asks everybody to chuck their stone in the lake, and they do. And then nothing. Jesus looks at Peter and goes, for whom did you carry the stone? 
For whom did you carry the stone? Or we could ask ourselves, why do we do the stuff we do? For whom do we do the things that we do? In our moments of transparency, I think lots of us have to admit the answers for me. I just do it for me. What's in it for me? What can I get out of it? What will make my life easier? What will make it better in my opinion? We do it for me. It feels as though we're a little hardwired or hijacked somehow. When God's great plan is that we would learn to do life and do things for others and for him. That the stones that you may have to carry in life you can do to serve others and as an opportunity to worship him. In other words, God actually wants to change us. His big splash, he wants to change us that we would start to resemble Jesus. That we would experience eternal life right now as Jesus changes us into people who know God and have a relationship with God. So how could I do that? We're usually pretty careful bargain hunters when we go shopping. I get that. We're always not so careful with our time though. I mean, think about it. We'd easily buy an hour on Netflix quicker than spend an hour talking with God. We'd easily buy an hour on our social media feeds far quicker than being fed by reading the word of God. We'd rather spend an hour browsing in the mall than an hour allowing the Holy Spirit to browse through the recesses of my heart. It's way easier to buy an hour to manicure than spend an hour on soul care. How do I get to know God? Really? It's like every other relationship you've ever experienced. It takes time. Theologian J.I. Packer, who lived and taught in Vancouver for a long time, said, A little knowledge of God is worth much more than a great deal of knowledge about him. But there are things that help us grow in our relationship. And in our Lent series, When You Pray, we've been focusing on prayer. Prayer, though, sometimes it seems as personal as a toothbrush. I mean, you keep it upstairs, out of the way, and nobody touches your toothbrush. You certainly don't let anybody use your toothbrush. And if you are, don't. It's not hygienic. We don't talk about those things. We just put them away. And that's, I think, how sometimes we talk about prayer. We don't talk about it. We don't want anybody to know. Probably because when we're trying to figure out the question, what is prayer, we know we can't do very well at it. In fact, we play a trick in ourselves because we already believe from the get-go, I can't do this well, and then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. I'm not really good at praying. And then you'll read something in the Bible that says, pray always, and we'll go, see, I told you, I told you I couldn't do it. I'm not very good at praying. This is impossible. And every time somebody talks about praying, the sense of failure washes over me, an impossibility. I'm never going to be any good at this. It's just too much. But we already used the analogy last weekend about prayer being like breathing. And the reality, if there's a choice between breathing poorly or just not breathing at all, I'll take the breathing poorly option, please, and thank you. But we make it hard. God wants us to pray in a certain way, we assume, so we better learn how to do it. And we picture God being like a drill sergeant on a military parade ground, weeding, weeding out the poor recruits. Pray always, losers! <laughs> when in fact the God who loves us and knows us wants to chat with us <laughs> in a way that works. 
Is that really so hard to believe? I mean, he doesn't just want you to pray when you're at the dentist, scared stiff like me, and the dentist says open wide, God always knows where I am when I'm getting my teeth cleaned. (laughs) But what about when we just meet somebody? Lord, help me to say something encouraging today. What about when we see an accident we're driving home? Lord, help help to get there on time and get this poor person to hospital. When you're driving through your neighborhood, Lord, help me to have a bigger heart for my neighbors and the community that I live in. Help me to witness to them. When I'm at work, Lord, help me to work in a way that just doesn't get the job done, but honors you and reflects your love for people. How do we do those things? Even when I'm just washing dishes. Lord, help me to do this for you and not just to get the chores done. I want you to watch this video with me for a couple of minutes. What are your regular rhythms for prayer? Mm. I really make it my priority to um, engage in prayer daily. Orar, si no, yo lo hago constantemente desde por la mañana en mi trabajo, cuando voy en el carro, cuando estoy en la casa y cuando me acuesto es casi es todo el día. Find that quiet space. I sit down. I pray. I open my Bible and. I read some scripture once I, once I pray. Can you tell us a little bit about why you've chosen to make those your habit? I get to talk with God and just give those things to Him. And it just makes me feel better. Can you tell us about a high from your prayer life? In Jeremiah 29, where it says, when you seek me with your whole heart, you will find me, says the Lord. And so I started to really claim that verse. I started to ask God, what does that look like to seek you with my whole heart? I was just crying out to him in my prayer life for quite a while, for probably, oh my goodness, probably at least six months. And he showed up. He showed up. Now let's talk about the lows. Have you experienced suffering? Uf, mucho. Pues mi hermano falleció antes de cumplir los 50, él murió ahogado. Mi papá murió a los 55 porque no tenía pulmones. Mi mamá murió en hace en el 2019 de un cáncer terminal. One of the hardest seasons of my life was when my sister-in-law was dying. It was devastating. In the midst of suffering, when the Lord was on the cross, he was still been praying for the people on his side of the cross. The people on his left, the people even on his right, he was praying for them. And he was suffering for me. It was just hard to pray and say thank you to God while thinking, oh, God took this person away from me. But I believe that once we keep praying, it's, it just makes it easier to keep going with life, for sure. And we hand those things, that pain, that sadness to God, and it just makes you feel better. You, you get that sense of peace inside. El consuelo ha sido mi Señor Jesús, que siempre, siempre que parten, me doy cuenta que, que Él ha estado conmigo y me fortalece. 
when you're in that place, when you're in such a dark place, in such a hard place, sometimes you feel like you're holding on just by your fingernails. Sometimes it's all you can do to just get through the day. And so for me, prayer was vital. He's the rock that we stand on. If I'm not standing on that truth, if I'm not understanding who he is, when we get to those really deep, hard times, what are we clinging to? Who do I know him to be? I know him to be omnipotent. I know him to be sovereign. I know him to be loving. I know him to be faithful. I know him to be merciful. It's not easy. I don't say that lightly. I don't say that like flippantly because it's not easy. It's a dig down deep kind of trust. Praying. Maybe you could start to use the little prayer guide that we made available at the beginning of the series. I know the hard copies are all gone, but it's very easily downloadable on the website, and the link will be in the chat if you're watching online right now. It's a very handy tool for you. Or maybe you could simply start by praying at mealtimes or bedtime. Maybe you could listen to some of Dan's worship music on one of these mythical CDs and allow the words to inspire prayer in your heart. Maybe you could leave some sticky notes around your house about things to remember to pray for so when you're wandering around and you see it, you could pause just for a moment or two. Maybe you could make a prayer list of things you're grateful to God for and things you want to ask God about and then you could spend some time there. Maybe you could read one of the Psalms every day, beautiful hymns, songs, prayers, and allow the words in there to become your prayer that day. Maybe you could find somebody to pray with as you pray for each other and about stuff that concerns you. Maybe you could join a small group here at FEC and find a new group of friends to spend life with and some time with and pray with. Or maybe, maybe you just need to begin by surrendering everything to Jesus right now and telling him that you're all in. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you today that in your great love you gave Jesus for us. Thank you that he's already broken the power of sin and death. He's taken the curse and it's gone. Thank you that he's been raised to new life and that we too can know that same life in us, life eternal to know you. Thank you that he sits on the throne of the universe and prays for us right now, even in our frailty. Thank you that you so long to be our dad and for us to be your kids. And we pray today that that reality would become our experience even right now. And so if you're someone who's never really started with Jesus, maybe you want to pray with me and simply say, God, I am here. I'm lost and I'm stuck and I, I do want to know you and I don't know enough, but, but I choose to be all in. And so I want to say sorry for the things that I've done that have screwed up my life, other people's life, hurt our relationship with you. There are things in me need to change and I'm asking you right now, would you forgive me and change me? Would you help me to know you and to follow Jesus and live a very different life? I want to be all in and I choose you today. And for some of us who are wandering through life, Lord, we're simply praying, help us. We love you. We want to follow Jesus and sometimes it's hard and life is complicated and we make poor choices and we're just stuck. Could you get us out of the stuck today? 
and help us move. Help us discover what it's like to really spend time with you, to live in your presence and to know you and be loved by you. Thank you for giving Jesus for us. And today we pray that as we continue of our journey in life and faith, that we could truly say, I'm all in because of Jesus.